Please turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. Beginning with verse 16. God speaking through the prophet to his people then, and he continues to speak to us even today. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. When the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. And that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of this land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord your God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You should dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and the deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. 
Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt, and the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts. So shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Thus far, our Old Testament reading. Please turn now in the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 4. The first three chapters he has expounded on the reality of the church. What is the church reminding the churches who they were and what God had done to make them his people. And then in chapter 4, he begins to expound, what does that mean for you then? And he urges them to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he speaks of how God has gifted his people so that they might grow up together in Christ. And then he has warned them that they, to be his people, must not live like those who don't know him like the rest of the ungodly world. And having just spoken to that end, now in verse 20 we read these words. Given by God's inspiration, this is his holy word. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Please join me now in prayer. Lord, these are your words. You have the words of eternal life. Please open our hearts now to receive your word. Open our eyes and ears that we might, by faith, behold Christ and hear him speaking to us this morning. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, and acceptable to you. We come in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Jesus is not pumpkin spice. Do you understand me? Jesus is not pumpkin spice. Some of you are laughing. You think I'm joking. You think that's so obvious as to be unnecessary to say. Well, today is the second Sunday of October. We are full on into the fall season. Which means that now when you go to Starbucks, Clatter, Holy Grounds, or your favorite coffee shop, you can now get a pumpkin spice latte. And not only that, it's become such a big thing that now it's not just coffee. You can get pumpkin spice donuts, pumpkin spice ice cream, pumpkin spice candles. It's more than just the flavor or the aroma. It's about stirring up memories of the fall holidays and and thinking to good times in the past. That's what this thing is all about, that now we're surrounded by pumpkin spice. Now, not everybody is a fan of pumpkin spice. You wouldn't necessarily know it by the way that certain people follow on Facebook. When is it going to hit Starbucks? But a lot of people do like it. And it's all right that some people don't like pumpkin spice because that only magnifies the importance of what I'm about to say. We've been studying Paul's letter to the Ephesians where the Apostle Paul, who is in prison because of his testimony to Jesus, He's no longer able to visit the churches that he had planted. He's concerned for their future, for their growth, for their welfare. And so he writes a letter to the churches about the church, aimed at least traditionally at Ephesus, which was a key church in Western Asia Minor, but aimed also at the churches around Ephesus. And in our text today, he makes this very important point. That Jesus is not pumpkin spice. Now you want to know where I got that from the text. I'm going to show you. Christianity is not pumpkin spice. Now why do I say that? Why did I repeat that? Because some of you don't act that way. Some of you don't think that way. The Christian faith is not about adding more flavor to your life or to your coffee. It's not. It's not just adding a little bit more to make our life even more fun and more better. It's not about evoking sentimental memories of the past, as pleasant as they may seem now, though it's interesting how memories have a way of covering over some of the ugliness and hurt. 
Christianity is not pumpkin spice to make life more flavorful or our memories more wonderful. It's not about adding an accessory to get more zip out of that old outfit. It's not about putting another coat of paint in that old bathroom that's already been covered by layers and layers of paint upon paint upon wallpaper upon paint upon wallpaper. A little more paint isn't going to make that bathroom any nicer. And I should know we just had our bathroom redone. And what a pleasant thing it is to have it redone right and not just throw a little more paint on the wall. Christianity isn't about adding a little spice. Christianity is a complete, extreme home makeover. If anyone is in Christ, Paul wrote elsewhere, he is a new creation. The old has gone away. Behold, the new has come. That's why Paul was concerned for the churches. He'd heard reports that they were living contrary to their new identity in Christ. Now, he had just appealed to them not to be what they no longer were. And now he's calling them to become what they already are in Christ. As new creatures in Christ. He reminds them what he taught them about Christ when he first brought the gospel to them. And it was not about adding a little bit of flavor to spice up your life. Listen to what he says. That is not the way you learn Christ. To live in darkness and immorality and greed. That's not the way. Assuming that you really have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. What truth? Well, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Christians have not added Jesus to their old way of life. They have set, their, set aside their former way of life for Jesus. Christians have not added a little Jesus to their former way of life. And that's why I began by saying that Jesus is not pumpkin spice because To listen to many professing Christians, oh, if you just add a little Jesus, your life will be a whole lot better. You'll be so much happier. Just listen to what he did for me. You just need a little bit of Jesus. 
as though you just sprinkle them on according to taste. No. No, listen to what he says. That's not how you were taught in him. But rather you were taught to put off your old self or your old man, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. This picture of taking off clothing, throwing off clothing, is a common one throughout the scriptures. And he'll say in a few more verses, put off falsehood in verse 25. In Romans 13, 12, he says, cast off the works of darkness. In, Ver- in Colossians 3, 8, he says, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Put it away. Take it off. Get rid of it. Hebrews 12, 1. Lay aside every weight and sin. James 1.21 Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Put it off. Get rid of it. Christianity is not adding flavor. Christianity is making a whole new recipe. All the seasoning in your cupboard will not improve the taste of an omelet if there's a rotten egg in it. But that's what too many people are trying to do. They try Jesus. Try him, you like him. But then after a while, life doesn't get better. So they decide, no, I've had it with them. They haven't tried Jesus. He's not some spice that... You sprinkle on and then you can do with it what you will. That's not what Christianity is about. When you come to Christ, there is a decisive break with your old self, your former way of life. It is indeed so decisive a break that in places the Bible talks about it as a death. A crucifixion. In Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Our old self was crucified with Christ. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. But he sees this decisive break that it can be spoken of as being crucified, which was the most cruel and horrible way to punish a criminal. It was so bad Roman citizens couldn't be crucified. It was considered too vile and too wicked and too evil. The old way of living is no longer suitable in the church because the church is the family of God. And in giving us a new birth, we cast off that former way of life. That's what it means to come to Jesus. 
You are choosing him and you're saying, no, I died. That's no longer me. Because you on the cross died for me. That was me dying there in a real sense. Christians have not just added a little Jesus to their lives, but they've set aside their former life for Jesus. That's what repentance is. It's turning away. It's saying no. And it's coming to Christ. The second point he makes is that Christians are transformed and being transformed by God. It's not that we fix ourselves by taking the right concoction or the right balance of flavor that will suddenly make our life more appealing to ourselves and to others. He says in verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of of your minds. The verb here is completely passive. You are to be renewed. That means that you are not the one acting. Someone is acting on you. And it's in the letters of Paul. It's understood to be a divine passive. That it is God the one who is doing the renewing. Some of you will remember in Romans chapter 12, after having spent the first 11 verses explaining the good news of the gospel of what Jesus has done and what God has done for us in Christ. That as Paul begins to apply and spell out the implications of that, he says in Romans 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Colossians 3.10, Paul writes, Be renewed in the knowledge after the image after your creator. he's, He's thinking back to the garden when we were first made in the image of God. When God determined that having made all the other creatures, now he was doing something new. He was making a creature in his image to have dominion over the rest of the world. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, he says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And he picks up this thought again in verse 16 of chapter 4. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. In John chapter 3, we're told, Jesus tells Nicodemus, 
that if you want to see the kingdom, you need to be born again. You need to be changed from within. God himself must do work to change you. It's not merely enough to take off the old, to put away, to put aside all the evil that you once meddled in. Because you're still the same person that did all those things. You'll just go and do it all over again. If that's all that happens, if all you do is come to God and say, Okay, Lord, I acknowledge all the wrong I've done. It was wrong. I'm not going to do it again. You know how easy it is to not do what we're supposed to do? How hard it is to really intentionally, fully obey God? You hear a sermon on speaking kindly to your spouses and just getting in the car to go home, you get into an argument. And if it's not getting into the car, probably before you're a mile or two down the road, you're, something is struggling. And you see, if, we don't, if there's no change from within, merely to, to put off and to say that's wrong is not enough. And this coming Friday, I'm going to be barbecuing chicken for the LaVeya Lions Barbecue. It's great chicken, by the way. But barbecuing that chicken is about the messiest thing I have ever encountered. First of all, you have these long, long pits just filled with charcoal. And we're continually putting in more charcoal. And it's just smoking up. And then you have racks and racks of chicken just dripping all their fat, which the smoke is picking up and carrying up, and it's just blowing all over your clothes. It's getting in your hair, it's getting in your eye, it gets behind your mask, in your ears, under your skin. I mean, it doesn't matter that I wear long sleeve shirts and and slacks. I don't wear shorts. Some guys wear shorts. I just, oh, I couldn't do that. Because <laughs> that stuff gets all over. And, and then Gene runs by and he's spraying the special concoction that we have that makes it taste so good. And so you have all this oil and vinegar. And I can't tell you the other ingredients. It's like the Coke formula. So you've got the spray in the air, the smoke in the air, the chicken grease flying I have to put blankets and towels in my car just so that my car doesn't stink for a month like the chicken. And when I get home, it's not enough for me to take off most of my clothes at the door before I go in the house. I do have some modesty, but... No, the first thing I have to do is I have to go to the shower, and I take a long shower. And I have to scrub, and I need to be renewed. I just can't 
pretend as though nothing has happened and put on new clothes. But that's what a lot of people think we can do. Put off the old, put on the new. Just go. No, you need to be renewed. And only God can do that. Only God can change your heart. Now, if you recognize that you need a new heart, that's a sign that God is working in your heart, and I urge you to call on him and ask him to finish that work in you and to cause you to look to Jesus because he's the only one that can help you. You see, it's not enough to take off. You have to be renewed. But then you actually need to embrace Jesus. You need to do what Paul in Galatians 3, uh, 27 says is we need to put on Christ. We need to put him on as though we're donning new clothes. We're embracing him. Putting on Christ. We have to put on a new life in Christ. We need to accept the life that he gives. And and to begin to live that life. To believe the promise of the gospel that Christ has actually died for all your old sins. All of them. The way you speak so sharply, the evil thoughts, the vile behaviors, those habits that you think nobody knows about and maybe most people don't, but you know them. No, you need God's renewal. But then you need to begin to live like it. You need to put on Christ. And what are you doing when you're putting on Christ? You're merely embracing the new likeness which has been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's a work that God has done. You can't even put on Christ without God creating you anew. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. And what does the new creation look like? Well, he tells you what it looks like. He said... Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness, the right way of living. Probably mainly with reference towards the way we treat one another. We're meant to deal rightly with one another. Not to just roll right over people as they're not even there. Not speed by them, ignoring them, or else consciously crushing them because they're in your way. No. No, we're to to live righteously and do right. And then holiness. Holiness is, the word used here is not the more common word for holiness, but it's a word that speaks of piety. Holiness in terms of our relationship with God. Now, what did Jesus say were the two great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're to put on Christ, you see. 
He who obeyed perfectly in every way, both with regard to loving God and and loving one's neighbor. That's who we've been made to be. That's what it means to be born again. You're not your old self. You, you used before you came to Christ, you could not say no to sin. Now you can say no. It doesn't mean you're always successful, but you can say no. And he's given us his spirit. It's interesting that both the putting on and the putting off are in a verb tense that views it just as one action. One completed action. When you've come to Christ, you've put off the old, you've embraced him and put on the new. But the word being renewed is in the present tense, which means it's a continuing, ongoing process. We need God's continual renewal. But you see, as we're being renewed, we need to keep on putting on Christ so that people see the renewal that's actually going on. We're not just... Flavoring ourselves with pumpkin spice, with Jesus spice. No, we have met God. And we've encountered him and and we've put off the things that we know in our hearts have been wrong. We don't need other people. You don't need anyone telling you you're a sinner. You know yourself in your own heart. And if you tell me that you're not a sinner, then you're lying and you know you're lying. But the promise of the gospel is that God loves sinners. And he sent his son to die. And to to be the church means to be God's new family. He's brought conviction by sending his spirit so that we can put it off. And that we can reach for Jesus. And he changes our hearts to make us new. And so he wants us to to become new. That other people would see that yes, this is not some slapdash attempt by Lee Capper to fix this grungy old bathroom in an old house. No, I wouldn't even try it. I got Owen Russell to come in. He just ripped it all out and he just scraped and there's dust all over from but he got down to the he got down to the bottom and it looks nice now. Out went the old making it all almost like new, and then bringing in the new, some new fixtures, new paint, not an inch and a half thick, but just enough to be adequate and proper. But that's what God is doing to you and me. That's why Christ came and died, to rip out the old. That's why he sent his spirit to change us and Make us new so that we can put on the new. And it's not just about us individually, but there is a corporate dimension to this 
new creation. You see, when you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, it's talking about the great divide between Jews and Gentiles, and it says that uh, God uh, himself is our peace. He made us one, broke down his flesh by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. And he's talking about the church being this one new man. Well, that phrase, one new man, is the same phrase that he says in verse 24. Put on the one new man. Put on the new man. It's, it's not just I have my faith over here and can do my little thing. No, that we're to be one new man in the way that, that we live before the world. That's how they see Jesus. That's how they detect the presence of God because all these sinners who should be tearing one another apart and running one another down and gossiping and... and Cheating and lying, they're, they're suddenly different people. They're respectful towards one another and towards others. They're helping others instead of trampling over others. That's what should be happening here. That we're a new community. That we are a new man. That God has made. The first man, Adam, he died. He disobeyed God. Christ came to stand for us. And now he's making a new man. Making us new individually, but making us a new mankind collectively. But it's not just by adding a little Bible here, a little good cheer over here. A kind word here. We can't make ourselves new. Only God could do that. Only God can do it. It takes a complete, extreme makeover. The good news is that the one doing the makeover is God. If I tried to tackle my bathroom, it would be a worse mess. Then it started out. Now, Owen, he's pretty good, and it looks really nice. But, you know, you could find a little spot here or there that maybe even the best, even the best of us can't do it perfectly right. But we have God who is perfect. Who is, he is the one doing the makeover. And that's the promise of the gospel. And that's the opportunity for you and me. You see, the one nice thing about having something new is you like to show it off. You like other people to see it. That's what we have the opportunity. We have the opportunity for people to see us. A new man. 
made by God, sculpted by God himself. Sculpted by the blood of his son. He's done a new thing, a new makeover from heaven above. May it be seen in our neighborhood and in our community that God has been at work and that he's done a beautiful work. Not because we have any power to change ourselves, but because God through Jesus sent his spirit to do a brand new thing, a new creation. The old cast aside. The new already done. The challenge that we might become more and more and more what God has already made us to be in Jesus. May he help us. And may he be glorified. And may we be encouraged by what God is doing. Let's pray. Lord, we admit we need a makeover, an extreme makeover. The old had to be ripped out. That's why Jesus went to the cross. We needed to be gutted. He was gutted for us. And then we needed to be renewed, and you're still doing that work. Your spirit you sent to be in us. You sprinkled your clean water on us. You put your spirit within us. And we needed to embrace Christ. And now we need to show that we have embraced him. Help us. Help us to become what by grace you've already made us to be. It's not easy. Sometimes we're distracted. Sometimes we're forgetful. But we thank you that whoever comes to you, you never cast away. We thank you that you were faithful even when we fall far short. Let that life the life of Jesus be seen in us. Personally, but as a church as well, we pray in Jesus' name.